is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my Aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to the More Than Child's Play podcast. My name is Nicole Surgent. I am the physical therapist of our duo, and I'm excited to bring you an exciting episode today. Before I get started introducing today's guest, I just wanted to remind you, if you have not followed or liked our podcast, um, wherever you get your podcast, we really appreciate that follow for a small podcast and a small business. Your likes and follows and reviews mean a great deal. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, we would really appreciate it. Um, Today, I am thrilled to bring you Lisa Ritchie Persaud. Um, If you are a physical therapist, you likely know her name um, or an OT as well. Um, She is an absolute expert in her field of study. So let me just tell you a little bit about her. Um, She is a doctor of physical therapy and a pediatric specialist. She is licensed um, with 28 years of experience in the field of adult and pediatric therapy. Dr. Ritchie is a practicing physical therapist at Tulsa Sunshine Center in Oklahoma. She is also the owner of No to Change and has educated healthcare professionals both nationally and internationally in some really advanced treatment techniques um, and specialized practice training and consulting services. She's worked in a variety of settings through her career, including private pediatric and adult clinics, schools and private homes, hospitals, and long-term care facilities. So she's, she's been everywhere. Dr. Ritchie is a credentialed clinical instructor and has taught human anatomy, physiology, and nutrition at Tulsa Community College. She received her associate's degree in 1993 from Tulsa Junior College and has worked as a physical therapy assistant while completing her bachelor's of science degree in organizational leadership from Southern Nazarene University in Tulsa. Dr. Ritchie earned her master's degree in PT from the University of Finley in Finley, Ohio, and she continued to expand her expertise in the field. She received her postgraduate doctorate from Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions and is board certified, a board-certified specialist in pediatric physical therapy. She has served as the treasurer for the Oklahoma Physical Therapy Association and has been a member of that association since 2004. Lisa's passion for helping others extends to her private life as well. She's volunteered as a call rape advocate and Salvation Army volunteer. Her passion for travel has led her to teach and treat overseas, everywhere from Australia to New Zealand, Turkey, um, the UAE, and Mexico, in addition to organizing and participating in mission work in Mexico, the the Ukraine, and Palestine. Lisa's wide range of clinical experience, organizational leadership, and proficient teaching skills have made her an exciting and compelling instructor, 
And one of the main reasons we have her here today is 13 years ago, Lisa began a comprehensive study in pediatric toe walking. She has since developed a three-day, 22-hour training course that focuses exclusively on the etiology assessment and treatment of toe walking. If you are a therapist um, who has been tasked with treating patients with toe walking, or if you are a parent who has a child who toe walks, you know that this is a very pesky, I like to call it a pesky diagnosis, one that can be very challenging to evaluate and treat. And uh, Lisa is, she's the expert in this area. She is who people in our field go to for education on this diagnosis. Um, in full disclosure, you know, we look wide and long for guests on our podcast. Um, and if you've been a listener for a while, you know our audience is both parents and therapists and other professionals. And so sometimes we have parents and we have all kinds of experts. And um, Lisa was definitely, um, a don't miss your shot, shoot it, podcast guest for me. I thought, why not ask her to join us and see if she might happen to consider. And when she replied back that she would like to be a guest, um, I actually screamed out loud (laughs) because she just, I really admire her. I admire her work professionally. I admire the journey of her career. I've taken um, some of her virtual courses through MedBridge and I have worked in a clinic that is utilizing Um, her specific techniques for toe walking. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, they work. Um, So I am overjoyed and a little um, geeked out to bring her to your ears today. So I hope that you will enjoy the podcast. Um, We will certainly follow up with links and information of how to find her at the end. But for now, I bring you Dr. Lisa Ritchie Persaud. Enjoy. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining us. I just told our um, listeners all about you and your extensive work. And I also told them that when you replied, you would meet with us and have this chat that I, that I screamed that (laughs) you're PT rock star territory um, for us. And we're just so honored and excited to have you here. Um, Uh, For our listeners, I am familiar with Lisa's work and have used her methods with children that I have seen. And I'll just tell you from personal testimony, it works. So if you are a therapist who is joining us, pay attention. This is good information. And if you are a parent um, who is struggling with toe walking, this is great information to share with your pediatrician or your therapist. I always say toe walking is pesky for therapists and parents. And so if you're joining us, this is, this is the place to be today. So let's get started with Lisa. Can you tell us a little bit about how you decided to specialize in this area of physical therapy? Yes. Well, it certainly wasn't a conscious um, decision as far as like, Oh, I love toe walking. I don't think anybody's ever said that to be honest. Um, for me, I, I was fortunate to work in a very, a very large um, facility for a number of years. We had PT, OT, speech, dietary psych, and, and um, dietary and um, family counseling. And we, with, with that amount of disciplines um, and not very many clinics, understandably so, we were super, super busy. And there were probably on average about 400 appointments a day on, on the book. So it was, it was pretty big. 
And uh, so over time, we saw, and this was probably about 15 years ago, um, yeah, 15 years now, we saw the increased number of children coming in with this diagnosis of idiopathic toe walking. Um, and quite honestly, we were, and we still are to a certain extent, but we were failing, the children, we were failing the, the families, and we were doing what we were taught. And um, honestly, what we were taught was not accurate, um, but I think it's all we knew as a profession at the time. So what we would do when you know, the child would come in walking on their toes, I'd spend a little bit of time with them and, oh, you're one of those kids, okay, go to OT, they'll fix you and I'll make your braces, you know, there we go. Or um, they'd go to, and I'll talk about this uh, um, a little bit later, but or they'd go to speech, there's a correlation with toe walking and speech delay. So they'd go to speech and um, speech would say, oh, you have a, you know, you're walking on your toes for the PT, they'd come to me and I'd say go to OT and the parents just overwhelmed, like all these experts are telling them everything that's, you know, supposedly wrong with their child. And the parents, I just came because they couldn't pronounce their R's. <laughs> so, so bottom line, what, what we were doing wasn't working. We were just throwing a bunch of stuff at these kids and it wasn't working. And I don't, I don't fail well. Um, so I had to come up with something different. And, um, and that's, that's, that's kind of how it, it found me. We had to do better than what we were already doing. That's the best way sometimes to solve a problem, right? Can you tell our listeners what we know about why children to walk? Um, well, what we know, if you Google it, um, we, we, you know, what we know is what we're told. And what we're told is a variety of things. Um, so what we're told is, um, you know, that most kids do it, they'll typically outgrow it, they'll do it maybe till the age of three or till the age of seven. Um, or, you know, they'll do it maybe because of autism or maybe because of cerebral palsy or, or we don't quite know why they do it. So that's what we think we know. Um, what I know is, um, it's quite different, actually. Um, I find that um, the, what I, what, we need to do is identify the cause of the toe walking. Toe walking is not an effective or safe um, or an ideal way for the human body to get through space, either in the moment or over time. And it does cause damage and it's, the, the body will do it to meet a greater need. And so that's, that's what I think we need to know more than what do we know is what need is the toe walking um, Meaning, if we can identify that, address that, it reduces the need for the toe walking, reduces the future consequences for the skeletal and the muscular systems, and then hopefully without without surgery or, or Botox, you know, no poison, no knives. It's always a good day if we can do no poison, no <laughs> knives for our, no poison, no knives for our kids. You know, so toe walking, it's a it's a pathological movement disorder. It is not a foot and ankle problem. It's a pathological movement disorder and it's not about the foot and the ankle. So if we address the etiology and address the cause, not merely the symptoms, the symptoms are the range of motion and the walking. So that was a long answer to a short question, but what we know is one thing and I think it's actually very different. In your experience, what are, what are some of those common things that that you feel, even if it's not, you know, documented in the literature, but from experience, what, like, what are some of those things that you feel predispose a child to walking? I, I have got it into three different categories. And, and in my course, I go into a lot of detail and, and teach therapists um, about that, but there are, th- there are three categories, um, I believe. And then we kind of 
teach how to figure out what those categories are. And then the intervention is very different. So the first one is just straight musculoskeletal. So these kiddos, um, uh, often kiddos with a history of GI, you know, tummy problems or prematurity will be born with um, or develop in the first few weeks early uh, uh, after birth, they'll develop shorter muscle length. So musculoskeletal could be shorter muscle length. Um, it could be weakness. Okay. So we're talking about muscles could be weakness. So there's musculoskeletal and then there's neuromotor. Now it's not neurological. Neurological, we're talking about some kind of diagnosis or some kind of insult to the sensory nervous system, cerebral palsy, something like that, TBI, right? We're talking neuromotor. And neuromotor, that's the motor map. The, the brain has, again, for, for a variety of reasons, and we can help kind of figure out and dig into that, but the brain has developed the walking pattern that's on this, that's to be on their, on their toes. So that's, because movement doesn't come straight from the, from, it's not already predetermined in the brain. Movement comes from how we move. And how we move, we get better at moving that way. And then the third category is the sensory dysfunction. So, um, and that's that obviously is a little bit a little bit different than the other two. So, but I think if we if we figure that the primary contributing factor to the toe walking is sensory, then I'm not going to go straight to stretches. Right. You know? um, it just doesn't make any sense. So we have to figure out. So those are the three categories: the musculoskeletal, neuromotor, and um, and sensory dysfunction. And then we once we figure that out, we can we can determine the more appropriate or the most appropriate ways to address it. That makes sense. And you kind of touched on this, but toe walking can be associated with a diagnosis or it, it cannot, correct? Like uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and then diagnosis, I mean, there's always a reason. So right. you have to figure out what that reason is. Um, but then it's often, or it can be associated with, with medical diagnoses too. The, the medical diagnosis, yes, it, it has some relevance, but we're still addressing a movement disorder. Exactly. So my, yeah. So my approach doesn't change dramatically in the absence or the presence of a medical diagnosis. It's we're still looking at, at how they move. I mean that the orthotics, for example, the orthotic design that, that I use, the purpose is to retrain gait, not stop the toe walking. Exactly. So it, yeah, medical diagnosis is helpful um, as far as giving some additional information and, and opening up avenues for resources and things like that, for example. But um, I it, often say to my parents, you can go to the doctor and the diagnosis might tell us a little more about what to expect or help us get insurance coverage. But as your therapist, I'm going to do the same thing. Exactly. You have it or not. Right. Right. Exactly. And they have to be careful with diagnoses too, because you come back with something, you know, well, of course they walk on their toes, they're autistic. Well, you can always hear doors slamming immediately at that point. And that's just not the case. Exactly. So. It's not proactive. Right. So um, we asked some of our listeners for questions and. Um, oh, actually, can I say one more thing yeah, about that? I just thought absolutely. about that. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that there, um, we do have study results that do correlate the, the toe walking with autism because I, I mentioned that. Um, so, but it does, but it's again, because it's meeting a sensory need. So it's not that because of the autism, this, this is how you're going to walk. It isn't, it, it, that's not the thought process. It's that, okay, that gives us an idea that we need to look for those sensory systems. Exactly. So that makes sense. Okay. Sorry. Another 
One of the questions that came in from a lot of our listeners who were both therapists and parents were, was, excuse me, should we treat toe walking? Does it like, does it matter? Should we treat it? And if, are there known risks to not treating it? Why is it important to address it basically? Okay, I'm gonna try and get you 16 hours in, maybe 16. Please, <laughs> so this is your specialty, and we'll talk more about if people want the in-depth reason for why we find you before we leave today. But just briefly, you know, if you a parent was asking you this question, right. why does it matter? What? How? How would you answer that? Right. Well, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, well, more than a couple. But uh, first off. Toe walking has a high prevalence among children with a cognitive disorder. So it's, um, for me, it's a marker for early diagnosis and intervention there. So we don't want to just, you know, brush it off. Um, I think often if there is some kind of overt signs such as cerebral palsy or autism or something, those, those diagnoses are caught, but there's a correlation with vision difficulties, speech and, and learning disabilities that are often missed. So that's another reason we need to look at that being a, um, an indicator that we might, we might need to look for more things and we can you know, access resources earlier. And, and as with most developmental concerns, these problems are best dealt with quickly, efficiently, cost-effectively in order to reduce the potential for bigger challenges um, to the child's future functional ability. The orthopedic deformities are a big concern and that's um, where that's what gives me cause for, for worry when we're told to kind of wait and see or like so we can address it later um, because these deformities skeletally once the skeleton has changed it's very difficult to make changes um, once the, the skeleton is, is formed. And that most characteristics of the skeleton, especially the foot and the ankle, are formed by about the age of four. That doesn't mean after four we can't improve their gait. It just means that the, the potential for change is a lot less. Um, so should we treat it? Yeah, we need to look into other things. And we also need to re reduce the potential for these, um, for these uh, somewhat permanent changes that, that can happen. And the other thing is that a child's balance reactions and how they move and, and how they achieve stability are consistent and reliable about the age of three. So a walking pattern is much less likely to respond to intervention after that age. Now we can do it, it's just gonna take a little more work. So it's, it's all about proactive. I mean, the toe walkers of two to three generations ago are different than the toe walkers today. And their management therefore has to be different than what we were taught two or three generations ago. I can just add to that from a parent standpoint. Um, I have a 15 and a half year old. So even though I was a pediatric therapist when she was a baby, I was a young pediatric therapist and I hadn't had any training or experience in toe walking. It wasn't something that we got a lot of in school. I had- No, no not because no. nobody knows. <laughs> I had two children who were very close in age. So life was hectic and I was working and I had a toe walker and, um, she had very defined calves and she has a very athletic build overall. And her dad is also a therapist. So we would check her range of motion and make sure she wasn't getting tight. And we didn't really do much about it. And I think my theory is she was a gymnast. And so I think she met some sensory needs right. naturally without structured intervention. Not that I recommend that. I'm just saying, I think that's yeah. what happened in my negligence as a parent. <laughs> um, and so she eventually stopped toe walking. However, 
she is a dancer and she at one point ended up with an avulsion fracture in her foot. Ah. And I took her to a pediatric orthopedist and they heard the history of toe walking. They said, even though she has, um, you know, adequate range of motion now, her, her eccentric landing ability is not what it should be because of her history of toe walking. And so they felt that her toe walking predisposed her to injury. Um, Uh, Absolutely. It's the mechanics of the body are completely altered. Um, when you, when you walk that way, it's not just so, and even if they can put their heels down, it's, it's, that's, that's not, that's not the the point. Their mechanics are completely altered. And uh, And I use that example with parents because I say some children that toe walk will have more, you know, significant medical diagnoses or concerns where other areas of development are affected. And there will be some children that don't have those challenges, but it doesn't mean that the toe walking is not significant for them. And I wish I would have known then what I know now, which is- Well, you you say that about all aspects of parenting, I think. But we can't, I think like- we can't underestimate the seriousness of toe walking. Right. I mean, it's all doom and gloom, not at all, but, but there are future consequences. I have a lot of kids that are bullied and that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, I think it increased potential for change, for skeletal ossification. It, it changes the gains in height too. Toe walking is an incredibly unstable position yeah. for the body, physically unstable. So when they get taller, then you have issues. Um, and I often find that when we get our kids' heels down, we then have to deal with recurrent ankle injuries and ankle sprains yeah. because the ankles are just unable to support the body because they never have to do it. And I've had adults tell me I was a toe walker as a child and I have had knee pain even in my 20s. Oh, goodness. Knee pain, back pain. Or in exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's all connected. So I, yeah. I think that that's important in answering that question to parents that as you said, there are many reasons of a wide variety to treat it. It's not right. to ignore or just wait and see if it gets better. Absolutely. And if we look at, you know, if we consider ideal development, and this is supported in the literature, um, to working as a, as a, part of normal childhood development, it's just, it's just not. That, that in itself is not in the literature. So an ideal development is, but that toe walking is a part of that. When we look at studies of gait, um, Sutherland, Perry, the, the hallmark gold standard of children's gait development, toe walking is not a part of ideal development. When we hear these things, these reports are mostly, you know, mostly anecdotal. They're passed from one practitioner to, to another. On average, and this might be helpful for parents and therapists, I think, to hear, um, typically when they study gait development in, in typical kids, heel strike is found at about six months after they're walking independently. So say they start walking at 12 months, by 18 months, typical kids have, so six months of walking by themselves. Um, and then... Yeah, I'm sorry. What did you I just said great to know for therapists and parents. Right. It's, it's, exactly. it's a myth. That's normal. That's that's normal. Right. And then about two um, years after independent gait, um, that's when there should be constant, consistent heel strike. And that there's actually a really great study done. I think it's done in 2005 by Nancy Dilger. She's a PT in California, and it's this. It's widely available on the on the internet, and it's people you know email me. I can send you the, the reference. But she she looked at 
All of the studies out there for gait to answer that question, is toe walking part of ideal development? And there was a resounding no. It's a really great article to, um, to read. And then she lists all the references that she looked at. So if you want to kind of really get deep into ideal gait, that's a great resource. So if people contact me, I can send them that. And we can link, yeah, we can link that article. We can also okay, link resources. So we can definitely do that. You mentioned vision briefly. Um, so my next question is, are toe walking and, and visual challenges related? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. Um, the kiddos will pass an eye test. Though. They'll pass an eye test. Just find it. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. It. It's, it's acuity only. Um, where the toe walking relationship comes in, it's not about can they see. It's rather about how they interpret and utilize what they see to adjust and optimize their posture, their movement, their gait, coordination. So it's not, can they see what's in front of them? It's um, how do they use visual information from the environment to affect how they move? Right. I tell parents all the time, vision isn't just your eyes. It's your eyes coordinating with your brain. So exactly. exactly. On my website, there's a, um, it's a, a link that people can click on. It links to the College of Visual Development, it's covd.org. You have to be careful because it defaults to covid.org now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, make sure it doesn't auto-correct you. Surely we're asking about COVID. No, it's covd.org, which I never have to say that before, but I do know. And that's the, um, the, I think it's College of Visual or Vision Development. And that explains exactly what I've just said. Um, what on earth does um, vision have to do with how you walk and it, and it explains it in a lot of detail. It's a good, good resource. So if you suspect vision is potentially affecting the toe walking or just to be comprehensive, you want vision looked at, do you suggest developmental optometry? Yeah, that's exactly what it would be as opposed to typical, uh, just a regular optometry. I mean, they have a need obviously, but not from what yeah. we're, not we're this. um, and, um, it's, it's a little tricky in that, um, you know, insurance coverage can be sporadic and but sometimes though you can go for the exam you can they're they're, they're aware these developmental optometrists are aware that it's not always covered and so they'll, they'll often work with you on how to do things at home um, on that website that i just told you about you can search for developmental optometrists by zip code so you can see who's in your area and then also again on my website there are um, a couple of resources written by developmental optometrists for parents. Um, one is called Eye Games, and then another one is called Seeing Through New Eyes by Dr. Kaplan. So that's what I try to do on the website is like where you can click on links and, and go yeah. to that. So there's a couple of resources. And I, oh, I, I can learn is another one. E-Y-E can learn. It has a little ladybug in it. Okay. That's another good resource too, yeah. I find that um, at least in our area, a good developmental optometrist is also very willing to work in coordination with therapists. So yes. for the therapists out there, you know, check out who your local developmental optometrists are and have a conversation with them about toe walking yeah. and how you could collaborate together potentially. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about baby walkers and bouncers or in, <laughs> I call them containers, you know, I'll write exactly. on the Keep them out of the container, please. Right, right. Does that increase toe walking? Yeah. Um, 
obviously we don't have any research on that um, because really nobody's looking. Um, there's one study, unfortunately it wasn't a super strong study, but I think they were really onto something and they, they saw kiddos that used baby walkers too early. So early meaning um, before they were pulling up and weight bearing themselves. So before they were cruising. So they used the walkers and um, they found that those kiddos on EMGs, these are typical kids, but they used the baby walker too early and they had the same movement patterns as kids with spastic diplegia. Mm -hmm. So we created a toe walking or a plantar flexion position with that. Um, I think that if there's already a problem, if the kids are already having challenges that baby walkers and bounces can perpetuate the issue. Um, baby walkers are also correlated with much greater accidents and head injuries. That's a whole other discussion. I have a little, right. I have a little webinar on that, but that's not, you know, that's not related to toe walking, but and also, um, the walkers also do promote um, more extension and flexion, which is correlates with toe walking, poor balance, weakness. The thing with the bouncers and the containers and all that stuff, the baby walkers, um, the, the kiddos might still achieve milestones on time, but it's the quality that's affected. Mm -hmm. this is, and then the quality then becomes very evident in early childhood. Yeah. So it's the, yeah, okay, they'll, you know, crawl, walk, all that stuff, according to the charts, but the consequences and how it affects their ability later on is where we see that. And so I just, I just think if there's, you don't know if there's an issue necessarily, but excessive use of those things can make that issue worse. You know, yeah. um, it's all about quality over milestone. Exactly. We want good motor movement patterns for longevity. Right. Exactly, exactly. Because that puts, and when you talk about longevity, you're exactly right. Abnormal movement patterns put strain on the tissues, it, it, abnormal mechanical stress on, on the joints. You might not see that until they're 14, 15, trying to play softball. Right. And I always, uh, one of the courses that, that we have for MedBridge, we've, we're actually doing side-by-side -side videos, kind of like that, who wore it best with celebrities where you have a baby in a container and then you have a baby on the floor and just watching the, the movement patterns of what's available to them when they're not strapped or contained and explaining how wow, that's interesting. Every, little, every little wiggle rotation turn is an exercise, right? So not that, you know, putting a child in a swing for five minutes while, you know, or 10 minutes right. while you take a much needed shower is the end of the world. But if they're yeah. spending excessive amounts of time in there, what are they missing out on? Absolutely. And so That's I drive that. Awesome. It's interesting to know too, that there can be an effect with toe walking too. Right. And it's sport specific training. If they're in a baby walker, they get really good at walking in a baby walker. And they're not going to be good at walking out of one. Exactly. I think the guidelines. <clears throat> I think the guidelines are thirty minutes a day in a in some kind of container device <laughs> maximum. That's the. What, what about shoes? Are there certain shoes that decrease toe walking? What are your feelings on shoes? Nope. Walking gait comes from the brain, not from the feet. It, it's that simple. Okay, so there's not a specific brand you like. Nope. 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 No feelings on bare, do you recommend bare feet? Barefoot is best. I always say barefoot is best in the absence of a pathology. Correct. Now, the ongoing art kind of discussion that I see between therapists is, well, I want them to feel the floor. And if they, you know, I, want, I don't want them to become dependent upon the shoes or dependent upon the braces. Um, I want sensory information. I, 
they're not going to lose sensory information if they're if they're you can I'd say twenty five percent of the time barefoot if there's an if there's an alignment or a movement problem you're not going to obliterate sensory info the tricky thing is when they're when there is a movement problem and they are barefoot they're getting information right but they're getting inappropriate information right. and that's how our movement happens and so we want yeah. them to get the information in correct alignment exactly and not receive so, correct alignment on their own right exactly but but shoes are not going to change so you might think they do because you can't see their because they got shoes on, but it doesn't affect the, the toe. Toe walking comes from the brain. It, it doesn't come from the feet. Okay. One question um, that we get a lot is when should a parent take their child to see a PT if, if they notice toe walking? What age? Uh, would you go back to those guidelines of six months after? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you some pretty kind of specifics, um, okay. actually, but these are also, there's a, little, there's a little handout, and I'll tell you how to find all this at the end. But there's a handout on my website. You can click on it and print it. So I'll right. give you this info. But if you're driving, listening to this, don't think you're going to miss it all because you can easily, you know, you can get that. Um, the uh, okay. So signs when it's a cause for concern. Um, I'd say if you if you notice that your child's walking on their toes more than on their heels, or if they show infrequent kind of heel to heel to um, toe contact, I mean, sorry, infrequent heel to floor contact. So if the heel's not touching the floor. Um, they might look as though they have kind of a bouncy walk if their ankles are stiff. And if you if you find yourself saying, you look like a ballerina, um, it might also be, and in fact, there's also a MedBridge handout. I just realized that includes this too. So that's a that's another place um, for, for people to go. Um, I'd be concerned if the, First part of the foot to come in contact with the ground is the front of the foot and your child has been walking for longer than six months. That's a pretty good um, indicator there because that's not in the parameters of ideal. Um, does your child dislike their feet being touched? Do clothing tags bother them? Any kind of clothing bother them? Um, if they don't like getting their hair brushed, if they don't like getting their hair washed, uh, are they clumsy? Do they fall often? Bump into things? Do they fall over their own feet? Um, car sick, much after car sickness, much after the age of three, is a little bit of concerning. Um, do they have a delay of milestone achievements? Do they love spinning or that kind of activity more than other children? A um, couple other things: if their ankle flexibility is getting tighter, or if they have difficulty standing on flat feet, even if they try. And then also, if they were premature, low birth weight or if they have difficulty with speech or learning. So those would be, and, and yeah, again- Those are great, very deep. Yeah, those are big ones. There's a MedBridge handout, and there's also one on my website too, that's slightly different. Um, kind of in, a, in relation to that, I'd also say that signs when it might not be cause for concern, um, because your child might not actually be, quote, toe walking. It could be a short-lived, developmental stage, but it looks very different to problematic toe walking. So I wouldn't be overly concerned if they take a few steps on their toes and then they return to flat foot after a couple of steps, or if you're seeing that quote, toe walking reducing in frequency, or if they've only been walking independently for several weeks. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about that immediately. Yeah. Okay. And you touched on this uh, briefly, um, but 
what are your thoughts on Botox casting, um, intervening that way for toe walking? Okay. So my, um, my approach is to retrain gait pattern. It's not to stop toe walking. It's to retrain the movement. And I just don't find personally that Botox is conducive to that outcome. Uh, it might temporarily improve range of motion, but shortened muscle length is, is only a symptom. I prefer to address the cause. And with regards to casting, if casting is done appropriately and individually for the each individual child to retrain gait, then it can be very successful. If the approach is either to stop the toe walking or to stretch the muscles, um, I would question whether long-term results are, are, are likely. And by long-term, I'm talking a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, a few weeks after it is that's not long enough to, to make a determination. And then surgery, uh, again, surgery, now there's definitely a time when surgery is appropriate, and I'm not saying that all surgery is bad, but I think it should really be an absolute last resort. And most of the time, just because of our lack of knowledge, we haven't tried everything. Um, but again, surgery, it can temporarily improve range of motion, but again, shortened muscle length is only a symptom. Um, the research related to surgery and toe walkers um, bases the results on outcomes like range of motion or um, do they achieve heel contact? And um, that's not addressing the gait patterns. So sustainable changes in gait and movement are, are often unusual and post-surgery for you know, that you can sustain it. They typically have to go back and have repeated surgery, but that's just dismissed as because they grow. Oh, well, the grows the toe up and comes back. I can't say it enough. Children don't walk on their toes because they grow. Right. They might increase the toe walking with when they gain in height because they're more unstable or they have muscle inflexibility, but kids don't walk on their toes because they grow. It doesn't happen. That makes sense. And those, that's all good information. Um, we touched on this briefly, you know, I feel, and I know you agree that this is a grossly underserved area in physical therapy. And once I became familiar, um, with your method and your work, I won't lie. I cringed at the amount of kids that I know were going through more, um, invasive interventions that maybe didn't have to, right? If, if, right. if there was more people that knew about your method, knew about this work to just give it a try um, before other options were given. So for the therapists out there um, who, you know, work in pediatrics or maybe even work in outpatient, but get a lot of toe walkers from the local yeah. pediatrician, just depending on where they are geographically, or for parents who are, you know, go-getters and doing research on their own to try to intervene for their children or find white ways to do that. Where can you tell us more about where to find you? What kind of courses you offer and the, and the differences between them? Because obviously we're not going to touch on all of the detail here, but Lisa's methods are very specific, trainable techniques um, that can affect a large number of children. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Of course, yeah. I think, first off, I think that when you said about you kind of cringe at the kids in your past, um, I think that that's common for every therapist and every parent. And I think that um, if you're not doing that, then that, then that becomes a concern in, it, yeah. in itself. So um, I think, 
the bigger sin is knowing better and not doing better. I think it's it's like that, um, that quote from my Angelou, when you know better, you do better, right? Yeah, yes. So we're all always learning. And so Absolutely. that's why well, you're here. <laughs> no, you can't beat yourself up. Think of the kids I practiced on 15 years ago. I mean, that's cringeworthy. You know? Yeah. And the thing too is I think we, we don't always have confidence in ourselves as therapists. I'll talk to the parents about that here in a minute, but as therapists, we don't always have confidence in ourselves because we'll, you know, it's not what the research says, or yeah, I'm not, I got it. But evidence-based practice, when it when it first was developed, was based on three concepts. It was um, client values, so the parents and the kids out there, clinical expertise. If, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been doing nothing but toe walking for 15. So I picked up some things along the way. So clinical expertise and scientific research, for sure. But I think, unfortunately, at some point, evidence-based practice became research-based practice. So just go back to the evidence as the clinician, the family, and the research. I always kind of ask myself, you know, this is great. I want to know how useful will this information be on Tuesday in the clinic? That's what really matters. Um, and can families and therapists use the information? So, okay, so my different courses. Um, on the web, the website is, is I think it's pretty comprehensive. Um, but it's so it, it, there's different pages. The MedBridge courses, these are designed as a kind of intro to my philosophy. So that's a good place to start if you want to know more. Um, and you can kind of see if that's okay. Is this something else? Is this something I want to go further down that path? Um, if you access them through my website, you get a, you get a discount um, that way. So that's, a, that's just a bit of helpful info. Um, live, well, I don't do any teaching in, in person. Um, live webinars, there are three different ones. I would suggest the toe walking first because it it really is, well, obviously for this subject, it addresses everything comprehensive, but that'll give you um, a, a good solid foundation with things to, for things to go and use. And then, so that's toe walking. The second one is the sensory gross motor. I would, again, you can take any of these in any order, but my suggestion is the toe walking followed by the sensory. The sensory gross motor flows really nicely from the sensory component that we begin to look at in, in the toe walking course. And my third one is delayed onset of gait, which that one kind of, you know, no pun intended, but that one stands, stands alone. Yeah. Um, there are recorded, so those are the live ones, there's recorded. The toe walking and the sensory are available as recorded versions. The, the delayed gate course is not available recorded because the final part of that is a lot of live group discussion back and forth between everybody of different case studies. So that doesn't really lend itself as well to, to um, be recorded. And then there's a part B toe walking. Part B, back when I teach live, Part B was filmed as the final component. So I don't do that live anymore, but that's um, the, again, the, the Part B of, of, of toe walking and it's me teaching at a seminar. It's not a webinar. It's me teaching live at a webinar. That one addresses, um, it touches upon reflexes. If you are a, if you want to know more about reflexes, do not go looking to me for that. Um, Janine Wiskind, an education resource is phenomenal for reflexes. That's where you go. And we do expand upon vision in that, in that course. And we also um, 
explain further how to use my assessment tool. The assessment tool is in the first one, but it, but that part B, we go into it in more detail. There's a therapeutic services recorded. That's how to recruit the core by optimizing foot alignment. So instead of doing sit-ups, if you give them good foot alignment, they'll recruit their core with every step they take. So that's a little bit more feasible on a Tuesday than sit-ups for a three-year-old. Um, and then finally, Nalero 24, these are all on the website. Nalero 24, these are web recorded webinars are about an hour or less. And um, they're designed to be more informative as opposed to instructional, nine topics for clinicians that are not addressed in any of the other webinars. Um, and there's also, I just did this one, a recorded parent webinar as well. We touch upon toe walking, touch upon foot alignment, and um, there's one other, oh, like balance and postural control as well. Okay. Um, and links to all of those on the website. And the website is, we'll link it, but can you just- Yeah, okay, so the website is, know to change.com so it's k-n-o-w as in no so k-n-o-w-t-o-c-h-a-n-g-e know to change because i want you to know to change when something isn't working okay um you can email me directly from that website as well um social media links there too medbridge links there exactly the medbridge page has links to other webinars that i recommend that have got content related to what i talk about in the webinars the live webinar page has links to those courses that are currently scheduled and um, if you don't see a live webinar date that works for you then just email me because it, that list might not be completely comprehensive or you might want to schedule a private one for your own group parents and clinicians can do that that's a great idea yeah that's and then also so the contact form is on the front page yeah and then there's also um the knowledge nook that is a page that's divided into clinicians and caregivers and there's resources such as websites, articles, books, and other readings of, of interest. I love that. Links to know gives is the page that gives therapy resources. Um, there's the shop. Now the shop, I don't make a profit off what I sell at all. Um, I'm not in the distributor business. <laughs> I'm a therapist. But often when I mention the supplies that I use for the shoes, for example, to modify the shoes, the manufacturer has a minimum order. So sometimes if you just want a couple of things, you can't get them from them. So that's why I sell them because I can buy them, you know, in bulk. Um, how else to get a hold of me? Oh, the subscriber list, the bottom left of all my website pages, um, you'll get onto my subscriber list. There's no spam. That's just a way for me to share information related to course content. And that there's one email a week. That's it. Great. And then, oh, and one more. There's a Facebook page. That was the other thing. There's a Facebook page by the same name, Know to Change. Okay. Um, if you do Know to Change and then put my name after, you'll find it. Um, sometimes Know to Change on its own gives you a lot of political pages. That's funny. <laughs> you know to change and then, and then Lisa Ritchie. Yeah. And we'll, we will link when we post this on our website, on um, the podcast feed, on our social media, it will all be linked back to Lisa. So if you, if you're coming right. there, just go back to the post and there'll be a hyperlink there. And that's a huge amount of info, but basically if you just get them to the homepage, no yeah. change.com, 
after that, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Okay, great. And then one, one last question. We always ask our, our podcast guests at the end of sharing all their knowledge and expertise. Um, if you had the mic, what's one thing you want our listeners to know? It could be about toe walking or physical therapy. It could be about life. Um, just what do you think people should know? <laughs> I would say, um, as a parent, don't assume that you don't know because you're not a doctor or an expert or a therapist. Um, we might be experts in areas of our field, but you were the expert on your child. And don't discount that because it gives us an incredible amount of, amount of information. Um, help us help you help your kid. I just got goosebumps because you're right. I I choked up when I said I know. Well, (laughs) I mean, I think when you, when you've been a therapist for a number of years, you're very tuned into what parents are going through and they just want the best for their child. And, you know, I always say to parents, I'm here to help you learn this, but you're here to help me learn about your child because no one knows them better than you. Um, And I think you're exactly right. I think that's important for parents to be reminded of. So thank you for that yeah. reminder. Thank you for doing this for parents. I, I really don't, I think this meets, your podcast, I think meet a need that's not met in the same way anywhere else. And, um, and it takes a lot of time. I know it does. People have, you know, people have those of us that have some kind of platform. People have no idea how much goes on in the background. And then when you commit to something, you kind of have to follow through. So thank you. You know, and I also encourage other therapists out there when, when we do look at the research of how parents learn, we know that multimedia, multi modes of information are most effective. Right. And so I think with, with this generation of parents, we're getting away from handouts consistently being the answer for education. And in a digital world and a busy world, parents like like podcasts, they like websites. So sharing online resources, oftentimes I'll say, you know, this is part of your home exercise program. Listen to this podcast on Toe so you can understand why we're looking at this or what our, what our goals are, what our approach is, um, because an educated parent is going to be bought into what we're doing as therapists for sure. Um, so anybody listening, any of our episodes, feel free to share them as part of your home exercise program or general education. That's what they're here. Put it on your listservs and therapists are very um, respectful of, of parent serves. I think a lot of times we don't, we try not to get into your territory and, you know, but I think, um, I think a lot can be learned from one parent to another. So. Absolutely. Which is why we sometimes have parents as our guests yeah. on the podcast because we can learn from them as well. So thank you again for your time, Lisa. Thank you, thank listeners, you. for um, being with us today and we will catch you soon. Great. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Bye. I hope that you all found that as helpful and as inspiring as I did. I am really hopeful that this podcast can be used as a resource um, for parent education, for therapist education, and to help us all work together um, to reach as many kids who are challenged with um, toe walking as we can. As mentioned, we will link all of the information Lisa shared with us um, on the podcast listing and on also on our social media links. 
As always, you can find a plenitude of resources under our website at milestonesandmiracles.com, including 123 Just Play With Me, some great downloads and free resources, and a link to our MedBridge subscription for the therapists out there with a discount code. If you have any questions, don't ever hesitate to reach out. I hope you have a good day. Thanks as always for joining us and sharing some of your time with us. And don't forget to take time to play. See you next time.